You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Well, we're going to continue on our message on repentance. And I know that can sound like a, some people hear the word repentance as Christians and go, <gasps> repentance, I don't like that word, you know, like, but it's actually a beautiful thing. The word repentance uh, it actually means to change your mind, to change your thinking. So every time you think of the word repentance, to repent, there, there, is, a, there, uh, there is a root meaning that also sort of connotates that we're going, I'm going this way, but we turn around, reverse the other way. So we, we change, but we, we're reversing our direction. And r- repentance, um, when we're looking at a scripture in the book of Acts, it actually says that when we repent and are, and are converted, then the refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. So refreshing comes from God when we change our thinking about God. Because our thinking isn't in line with God's thinking. So we have to change our thinking to come in line with God's thinking. And even John the baptizer, his whole message, the message of, uh, he, he, he brought a message of repentance, but he, a, a baptism of repentance, that was his message. He baptized people unto repentance. So the whole point of going under the water is to totally submerge themselves into repentance. His whole message was repentance. And prophetically, what God spoke about John in the book of Isaiah was he was preparing the way of the Lord. And to make the mountains... Their, uh, mountains would be straight and the crooked ways become straight. And, and basically God was preparing for Jesus, the king, to come. And we needed a message of repentance to bring the king in. And so the, the message of repentance brings the kingdom of God always. John's message was repentance. When you look at the lifestyle of Jesus and he en- he, when he entered Galilee for three years, he says he came and preached. And this was his message was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So why do we repent? Because God's kingdom is here. At hand means it's near. It's like accessible now. Even Jesus said, he goes, don't say, look over there, there's the kingdom of God. Or look over here, there's the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not by observation. The kingdom of God is within you. That's what Jesus says. Don't say, look, it's going to be there. It's going to come one day. No, the kingdom of God. Think about the reign of the king, the domain, kingdom, the domain of the king. To have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And because Jesus is the king, and, he's mag- and you've got to understand, our king is beautiful. The king is magnificent. He's a beautiful king. He's a kind king. He's a loving king. So when I think of repent, why do I have to repent? Because the kingdom is here. But the kingdom, for me to enter the kingdom, it com- the ways of the kingdom are completely different to the way I've been living. So if I'm going to come into the kingdom, I have to change the way I think. That's what repent means. Change the way I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm receiving God's kingdom. I'm embracing God's kingdom. So when Jesus says repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, we always repent towards something. And we repent towards God. We'll talk about that in a moment. But th- this is so important to understand that repentance is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. I don't see repentance as a, a, an ugly thing. As, oh, oh, I've got to repent, you know, like, or I've, I, don't also, I don't repent and we should not repent out of guilt. And we should not repent out of shame and condemnation even. But we repent when the Holy Spirit convicts us. But we welcome that conviction. We say, thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Thank you for showing me through your eyes. Thank you that you showed me that you weren't happy with that. You know, there's a, there's a message that some people are teaching under the, 
ultra grace message to saying that we don't have to repent anymore. Now, now I know where that, that's coming from. They're trying to say that, and, and this, this part is true about that message. The only part of is, that's true is you don't get forgiven because you remember every sin that you have to confess. Now, once upon a time, even the Charles Finney days, when they first brought, um, you know, that God wants to save every person, they'd say, confess every single sin you can remember. Everyone. I mean, go back right till you first got, you can remember everything you've ever done wrong. And they would write it down and they would have to confess every single one, which meant that if you don't remember a sin or you forgot about a sin that you did and you didn't confess it, you weren't covered. Because the faith became in their confession. The faith became in the fact that they had to remember what they did wrong. And therefore, if they remembered and they confessed it, then they're forgiven. Their faith was in the confession. Rather, our faith is in God's grace and His love. You might not remember every single sin. It doesn't mean you're not, you're not covered. But if, if you have an argument with someone, a relationship, your husband and wife, and you have a disagreement or I do something wrong and I've wronged my wife, I'm not going to go, oh, like I just, I know she loves me. I don't have to tolerate her. I'm sorry. You wouldn't do that. When you... See, a broke, uh, when you have a fight or you do something wrong, you've broken fellowship. You haven't broken relationship. You're still married. It hasn't changed your condition in your relationship, except that it's broken a fellowship. And so when you ask for forgiveness, you restore relationship. You restore the fellowship. But, the, but you're still married. It didn't change our status. Or else we would be saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved. So we're not basing it on that, but... But when you do something wrong, you say, out of relationship, Father, forgive me for what I just did. I, I just grieved your heart. Forgive me. I want, help me to see it through your eyes. So we welcome the Holy Spirit to convict us. But it's always with love and always with grace. So we're going to dive into the Word. We're up to number 8. And this is found in Acts 17, verse 30. And um, it says here, the Word of God says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked, or God overlooked it, looked, overlooked at it, but now commands all men, the word men there is not necessarily as the male and females are off the hook. The word man there is um, anthropos, actually means human being. So God commands all human beings everywhere to repent. God commands this. Well, I like that because, you know, repentance isn't a suggestion. Everyone that doesn't know Christ has to repent to come to know Him. It's not a suggestion. It's not, a, it's not an option even. It's not like, oh, if you've got this option, if you really want to, you can have this option. It's not a good idea. It's not just a good idea. It's a commandment. God commands everyone, everywhere to repent. I love that. Everyone, all human beings, everywhere to repent. Why is that so? Because we've got a, a message of salvation. And the next scripture actually says, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he had ordained, which is Jesus Christ. Why, do, why does everyone have to repent? Because one day we'll all stand before Jesus and be judged. Every single one of us. You can't get off the hook. We stand before Christ. The Bible says, even Jesus said that every word that you speak, you'll give account of. Every single word, even as a Christian. You'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due in your body in the area of rewards in heaven. Not whether you make it into heaven or not. You're not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, I wonder if I make it into heaven or not. No, we're already citizens of heaven. We're already sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's nothing to do with your salvation. It's to see how much rewards you get in heaven. That's why we, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But people that don't know Christ go to the, the great white throne judgment. That's a completely different judgment. And that's why the Word of God says God commands everyone to repent. 
because there's a message of salvation that everyone has to listen to. Everyone has to hear and obey. So I think that's so vital. And the, the, the weightiness that everyone will be judged. People don't live their life like that. Most people live their life like they're going to live here on, on earth forever. Their, all their plans, all their decisions, everything they make their decisions on is based on the here and now. What I can get out of it now. My self-gratification right now. Is this good for me now? But they don't think about years to come. They don't think about the life to come. They don't think about heaven. They don't think how this affects the heart of God and how it affects God's kingdom. But we should have all those things in mind. Because we will give account of our life before God one day. And the world without Christ will be judged without Christ. They will be judged for their own life. And every single one of us, if I, had, if I didn't have Christ as my mediator, as an intercessor, I'm lost and I'm undone and I cannot make it into heaven. It's impossible because there's only one way into heaven. That's through Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus Christ. Why is that important? That's to me telling us we've got a message to proclaim. We have to tell people about this good news. That's why it's good news. He's done it all for us. Amen. Amen. Acts no, uh, number nine, we find it in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews... And also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, when you repent, you always repent towards something. And we are to repent towards God as a person, as our Father. So we repent towards a person in relationship. Now this is very important. Um, Hebrews chapter 6 talks about repentance is a, um, a foundation thing. So when I think of foundation, I think the, the most powerful part of our walk is make sure our foundation's in the right place. Because if you try to build on a foundation that's faulty, it always comes down, doesn't it? It always breaks. You think of the massive buildings and the towers and the skys skyscrapers that we build that always dig deep. Yeah. And they make sure they find the bedrock. I got, I've been to Dubai and asked questions about the, and it's in the desert, but they've got to go deep enough to hit bedrock before they build those buildings. The tallest building in the world in Dubai. So your foundation's important. So repentance is a foundation. It doesn't mean oh, it's something we get when we first became a Christian and then we, um, we forget about it. No, it's a foundational lifestyle. You've got to know how to walk in it. It's towards God. Now, why is that important? Because it's my repentance is towards God as my father, as a person, and it's about relationship. If I come, if my repentance, and I've seen this happen, is based on um, what I'm going to get out of it. Like, for example, some people turn or change, you know, repent, because they're thinking, um, they're thinking that I've got to do this for my kids. I've seen people, as soon as they've got children, they start thinking about oh, my kids. What am I going to grow up my kids with? You know, uh, what am I going to teach? I'm going to teach them Christianity. Well, I, better, I better go to church. And they start going to church for their kids. It's okay to start that way. Sometimes that's our motive. Sometimes that might be our wrong motive. Fine. God grabs every single wrong motive and, and he'll, he'll take you. I'm telling you, he'll take you in. But make sure in the journey of maybe starting off with the wrong motive, um, most of us did, you know that. Really, most of us did. But we've got to walk towards God. Like I, I, you know, like I think I came to God because I thought, wow, he's going to give me a better life. I was thinking about me, not about him. Oh, he's going to fix my life, my problems. Some people, their life is so broken, they cry out to God and they go, oh God, I need you to help me. That's also a wrong motive because it's about fixing my life. Give me a blessed life. Give me prosperity. Oh, God's going to teach us how to succeed. I mean, sometimes the gospel sounds like that. God's going to teach us. He will, but that's not the reason why we repent. 
we repent towards God, not for what I can get out of it. Because what happens you become a Christian and God's caused you and, and, and tribulation comes, persecution comes, suffering comes. All of a sudden people freak out and go, I was promised a blessing, I was promised prosperity. See, that comes when you would come in line with the kingdom, with tribulation and persecution it comes with. So all these things, we, we, repent, we repent towards God. So when I, if I mess up, I don't want to stop sinning because I want to succeed. Or because I want my life to be good and I want, I want my life to be blessed. I want to stop sinning because it grieves my relationship with God. It hinders my love walk with Him. Why? Because it grieves the heart of God and it, it stops me from the destiny, the calling, the purpose that He has for me. That's why we want to hate sin. Actually, the, our prayer should be, God, I want to hate sin in the same way you hate sin. Have you ever thought about that? Why does God hate evil? Because He does. Why? Because evil is twisted. It's perverted ways. And, and it's obviously, you know, it's, it's what, that's why we call it darkness. Because it's the opposite of light. God is light. Everything He does is in light. And everything He does is perfect and beautiful. And, and it's, it's His ways. But darkness it's hidden, it's twisted, it's perverted. You weren't created to live that way. So I think that's important. I, I established it this morning, but I wanted to really reiterate that our, our repentance is always towards God. The Bible says we repent from dead works. So we repent from something, but it's always towards something, which is God. Our eyes on His love, our love for Him. We repent from dead works means everything. When you're spiritually dead, everything you do is a dead work. No matter what you do, even if you try to be good to try to get rid of your sin, and I'm trying to earn my way, I'm trying to be good, it's a dead work in God's eyes. That's why the grace of God and the power of God has to raise your dead spirit, resurrect your dead spirit so that you're forgiven by faith, and now everything I do out of obedience is rewarded. But, but our obedience doesn't get us to heaven. It's His love and His grace through what He did at the cross. All right, number 10. Moving forward, Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Don't you love that scripture? That the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God is a beautiful thing. And I don't know, when I think about the goodness of God, I think of a lot of things. But when you understand God is good and only good and there is no evil in God, God has no capability to do evil. Just think about that for a moment. There's no darkness in, in Him at all. He's just good. He's full of goodness, full of mercy, full of love, full of joy, full of peace. He's just good. The Bible says, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And then when God put him in the cliff of the, of the cliff and, and put his hand there because he passed by and says, I'll show you my back part. And the Bible says he showed him the, the goodness of His glory. The goodness. He said, my glory is my goodness. It's like, wow. God's glory is His goodness. And you know, when I think about creation, that's God's goodness. Everything God's created, it's God's goodness. He didn't have to create a beautiful world, a beautiful earth. The beaches, magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. But God created that for our fun and our enjoyment. Most of us don't see that God did that for us. He, he created earth as a home for His children. The beaches are magnificent. It's just one thing that he created. And he said, I'm going to throw waves there so they can have fun and play. But that is God. 
He's creative in the waterfalls, the mountains, the snowfields. I mean, the things that God has done creatively, it says, I'm going to pour goodness on my children. That it doesn't belong to the, earth, the, the, the you know, people that don't know God. He created for his children. But everything he's done, I think I think of his, he didn't have to give us, have you ever thought this, he didn't have to give you taste buds. No purpose. It's not a digestive purpose. It's not going to help you for health. It's just for you to enjoy food. Thousands and thousands of different taste buds to enjoy food. Imagine if we didn't have taste buds. All the creative foods that he even gave us. That we could create beautiful food and cook beautiful, delicious dishes and the creativity to even do it and the different dishes, I mean the different sort of um, fruits and vegetables and all the different kinds on the earth. All for our enjoyment. That's his goodness. You following? He made man and woman and he gave up, he, he created Sex. It's his idea. He thought of it. He goes, I'm going to give him this beautiful gift between a husband and a wife, a married couple. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to give them this enjoyment. He didn't have to do that. He just, all he had to say is, I'm going to give you these pieces. This goes there. Have babies. <laughs> he didn't have to. I'm, just, I'm trying to help us think that God's a good God. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to, to him. It's the enemy that tries to say, no, this, is, this is counter God's kingdom. The enemy tries to say, you've got to, oh, you've got to give up the world. You've got to give up the world. It's so hard to give up the world for God. Are you kidding? God is, he created us to live for him. Living for the world is living opposite of your design. Opposite of your design. And I'll show you scripture in a moment for that. You don't believe me? Number 11 is found in Romans eleven twenty nine. I love this one too. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That word gift is charisma, which um, when you look it up, it means divine gratitude or gratuity. Sorry, gratuity. I looked up that word. I don't, I don't ever use the word gratuity, but it means tip. You know when you tip a waiter? So they don't deserve, you, know, you just tip them out of your gratuity. But it, to me, it's like giving you a gift that you don't deserve. So God's given us divine gifts. Every single one of us have got different divine gifts, abilities, you know, talents, skills. He's placed it in you. He gave it to you in your DNA. Like it's there and there without repentance. What does that mean is God does not take it back from you. It's given. Now, when you walk in disobedience or in sin, you hinder the flow of those gifts. You hinder the capacity of how those gifts can flow. God never takes it back. So you, you might even use those gifts for your own glory, your own selfish ambition. But they're still given. And as soon as you turn back to God and repent and turn and change your thinking and come to God, those gifts are always available. He, doesn't, he, never, re, he never retrieves it out of punishment. It's just not like that. God doesn't go, okay, because you're living for the, yourself and your selfishness and your evil, I'm taking that away. I'm never going to give it back to you. They've always been given. There's something about the, the character of God that He gives gifts and He doesn't take it back. Even when we disobey, we hinder the flow of that gift. We actually hinder the potential of what that gift could do. But he doesn't take it back. As soon as you turn and come back to God, I turn and come back to God, those gifts are still there. Uh, he's, a, he's an amazing God. Think of, and that's true of, not just, the, um, it says the, the gifts and calling of God. Same with the calling. Whatever he's called you to do, you might, you might hinder it for your disobedience. You might, you know, put it up on the shelf. You might even abort it. But the callings are still there. He doesn't change his mind on you, ever. He's a God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, sixth chance, 490 chance in one day. That's the type of God. He told Peter, if someone, forgive, if someone hurts you, 
No, seven times seven. He goes, no, I said seven times 70. He goes, 490 times in a day. He tells us we should be forgiving one another. How much God, how much more God would forgive us in a day? He's a God of uh, many chances. We know that. He doesn't, he doesn't take back when we mess up. But, he, but you hinder the potential of the call of God in your life. And again, when you see that his potential, his purpose, his vision is magnificent and beautiful and wonderful. And the Bible says, you know, fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race. And I thought, well, truly, the race we're called to run is the amazing race. It's really the amazing race. The most amazing race you can run is the run, running the race with God. The prodigal son was messing it up, wasn't he? He took his inheritance and took off. And eventually when he got to so bad, lost everything and everyone used him, he felt he, he's just down at the dumps eating pig's food. And he got so bad that he thought to himself, you know what? If I just went back to my father's house, I don't care. I just want to be like a servant. Really, really. His attitude was when I go back, and he started, he turned around, he went back. As his heart was, I'm going to go back. I, I, I don't even feel worthy to be what I was before. I don't feel worthy to live like a son. I just want to live like a servant. I don't care. That was his attitude. He actually says that's what he said. But the father was watching all the time. The Bible says the father saw him afar off. Why did he see him afar off? Because he was always watching him to come home. He was always hoping for him to come home. As soon as he sees him afar off, he, the father drops everything and runs to him and embraces him. And restores him as a son automatically. Didn't have to prove himself. I want to test you, see your attitude, you know, see if you walk right for a whole year or two. And then I'll give you all these responsibilities and, and authorities. And he gave him the ring to sign checks straight away. Sandals as a son. That's what the, sand, the sons wore sandals. The servants didn't. He gave it to him straight away and chucked a massive celebrational party just because he came home and automatically. See, those gifts weren't withheld. They, he, he was restored straight away. That's the mercy of our God. Again, it's trying to, we're trying to see the goodness of God. Why wouldn't you want to run? Why wouldn't you want to repent, turn your, away your thinking from a prodigal mentality, a prodigal son, to running back home as a son and a daughter of God when he's so good. Number 12 is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 to 10. He talks, you know, Paul talks about sorrow of the heart. I just want to show you something and maybe pick it up from verse 8. For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, I... For I perceive that the same epistle have made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Sorrow didn't just stay as sorrow. Sorrow led them to repentance. But sorrow by itself is not repentance. Sorrow is the emotional part. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance. The, work, the word worketh means to work fully into repentance or to accomplish repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world brings death, it says. So think, think about that, sorrow. So, Im, Why is an emotion, the sorrow part of it, repentance by itself? Well, I, I think a number of reasons because emotions, first of all, can't be trusted on their own, right, by themselves. But some people can feel sorry about something and various reasons. You know, there have been people that have wept and wept over their sin because, you know why they're weeping over their sin? Because they got caught. Because when you get caught in a sin, there's, there's a lot of consequences, the shame, the loss of stuff, the loss of honor, loss of reputation, loss of 
could be anything. You break up a marriage. It could depend on what the sin is, isn't it? So they're weeping and crying. They're, they're, there's emotion. There's sorrow, but not unto real repentance. Sorrow can lead. Sorrow is the beginning. Sorrow can lead to repentance. So it's good to feel sorrow. So when you have sorrow towards God, again, towards God, not for, uh, I got caught, I got busted. Oh, no, now look what's going to happen. Everyone's going to think about it. Everyone's going to talk about it. So that's, that's the consequence of sorrow, I mean, of, of sin. We're not talking about that. We're talking about sorrow towards God. Say, God, I hurt your heart. I break your heart. It's hindering my relationship with you. That's why we feel sorrow. But the, that on its own now leads us to changing our thinking. Not just sorrow, not just emotion, but say, God, let me see it through your eyes. Let me see this sin through your eyes. How do you see it? Amen? I mean, think about the woman that was caught in adultery. She's caught in the very act. They dragged her out of bed. That's pretty horrific to think, I don't know if she got time to get clothed or not, but they threw her at the feet of Jesus, wanting to stone Jesus if he said wrong words. They wanted to get him. I don't know what they did with the man, but they grabbed a woman and threw her at the feet of Jesus. So he was wise enough. I don't know what he was writing on the sand for sure. But Jesus said, anyone who's without sin, let them throw the first stone. So he could have said, no, don't stone her. But that's against what the law says. And they're trying to trap him. So he goes, whoever's got no sin, you can throw the first stone. Well, the wisest thing you could say. Everyone, the oldest to the youngest, walked away. Then he goes to her and says, where are all your accusers? She goes, oh, they're gone. He goes, never do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Isn't that beautiful? The heart of the Father, the mercy He was showing to us, and never do I accuse you. Don't just go live in sin again. Go and sin no more. Have dignity. Now, why was she even, like, you know, she was, uh, what's the word? Um, she was probably, her upbringing made her come to a point where she was, um, her worth was not, she didn't have a self-worth. She didn't have a value about her life. So she was selling herself short. People in the sex trade, who knows, uh, there's a high percentage of people that are in the sex trade are sexually uh, molested themselves. So they have a very cheap thing of themselves and they sell them. They're actually selling themselves for money. Bottom line, when you really look at it. So this person is, is, doesn't know how much they are loved. So they they sell themselves cheaply. What what am I saying that for? We have to see how God views that person. God loves those people, and God values that person. Yet they're selling themselves cheaply, and we want them to be restored to the love of God, Amen. And the value that God has for them. Number thirteen. This is where I, I brought that up is because number 13, it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. It says, Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Now, the word fornication is porneria. It's the word pornography. We get our word pornography, but it means perversion to sexuality. Any perverted stuff or um, the word fornication is the root word porn. So again, the porn trade has captured a lot of people because of they don't know their self-worth. They've twisted their they've twisted and messed up God's design. God created sex. He gifted mankind, mankind, man and woman, with a beautiful gift. 
but for selfish reasons, just to please themselves. I don't care about you, just to please my, gratify me, to, but, but I'm abusing you. That's what it is. But we've got to see, God, show us through your eyes what you, why you've created it and, and the, put a value back on the person. So here it says, repent from any of that uncleanliness. Why do we repent from any of that lifestyle? Because it grieves the heart of God. This is hindering. If, you, if you've got habitual problems in this area, you're hindering your relationship with God. It's hindering it. It's hindering your love relationship, your destiny, your calling, your purpose. And again, when, you're, when you see how amazing God's kingdom is, you don't want anything to hinder. Self-gratification or temporary stuff, you don't want that to hinder the call of God, the destiny, your relationship, your love relationship, the things that He wants you to do for Him. It hinders all that. That's why it says repent from all that. That's why Hebrews 12 says, put off the weight and the sin that so easily entraps us. The weight, it's like carrying a weight. I mean, have you ever gone a run with weights? Some people put it on purpose. They're in the backpack and put weights on it just because they're so fit, they want weight. But when you, when you carry, it, it's much harder to run. God's saying, run the race without the weight on you. Get rid of the weight. Amen. Number 14 is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You know that word oppose? It's interesting, but let me read the whole scripture. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. The word uh, to give repentance is again, it's like granted. God grants it. He gives it as a gift. He gives repentance as a gift. But the word oppose themselves, the word of God says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Who's, who's he talking about? People that are living outside of God's plan are opposing themselves. And the word oppose, when you look it up, it means to set oneself opposite. So when you live a lifestyle of sin, you're setting yourself opposite of the way you were designed for. You're living outside of your design, your God-given design. So God's given us a God-given design pattern on how we should live our life. When we live in sin, we're living the opposite. We're setting at oneself the opposite of your created purpose and design. We have to remind ourselves and say, God, I want to live my life. The easy way is living with God. But when you live in the opposite, it's actually twisted and perverted. And, it, and you, you're actually um, setting your oneself opposite of your original creation and your design. Disputatious. Basically, it says that oppose themselves. It's the opposite of what you were created for. And that's why we need to repent and live free from a lifestyle of sin. And I love the fact that God grants Sin, uh, repentance it's a gift now that's important because you can't play with that i've seen people when they're young oh you know i'm going to go with the world because they think the world's going to offer them more fun than god and it's very dangerous to play with your eternity to, to, to actually say oh, i'm going to come back to god later because you can't you, there's no guarantees you, you can't you can't say, I'm going to come back for sure. I know this is true, but I just want to go play the field. I want to just enjoy myself. I won't come back when I'm 25. I'll come back when I'm 30. I'll come back when I'm ready to get settle down and get married. And all this wrong thinking because you're playing, I'm telling you, with your eternity because you can't guarantee your heart's condition in 10 years' time, 5 years' time, 2 years' time. You can fall into deception. You can fall into hardness of heart. You can fall into a place where you get so dry you don't even care anymore. 
I've seen it happen. They had the right intention. They thought, yeah, I'm coming back for sure. I know this is true, but I just need to. And then, and then they never turn. It's not all of them never. There's a lot that do. But I'm telling you, it's very dangerous to play with that. You, you can't guarantee where your heart will be. What we need to see is, God, if this is a gift and you grant it, I welcome it when I receive your conviction. It's a beautiful thing. I don't want to fall into a place where I don't ever ask for forgiveness. And I get so hard and callous that I don't even hear your voice anymore. That's a dangerous thing. We need to fear God. It's the fear of God that makes us depart from evil. Amen? How do we fear God? It's understanding the nature of these things. Understanding that I can't play with it. Amen? People have and they've gambled. They've gambled themselves their eternity. I mean, you might come back, but there's no guarantees. You know? Number 15. Again, we did speak about this, so I just want to mention that it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith towards God. So repentance is a foundation. Understanding repentance right to the end, right till Jesus comes back. We are always being transformed by the renewing of our mind, little by little, becoming more like Jesus. When Jesus gives me a revelation of himself and it doesn't reflect the way I'm living, I turn Lord, change my thinking. I accept your truth. I let go of that lie. God says, God, Leah, you're loved. You're, you're, you're accepted. You're, you're the beloved. And stop seeing yourself you know, without worth. Okay, God, I receive that. That's repentance. I'm turning away from seeing myself as nothing and cheap. And I say, God, I accept what you say about me. That's repentance. You're saying yes to him and no to the liar. Amen? Number 16, Hebrews this is important. I thought, I don't know if I should, when I was studying, I, thought, I don't know if I should speak about this. And the Lord says, Leah, that's still important. It's in the Word of God. And Hebrews chapter 6, it says, you know this scripture, for it is impossible, impossible for those who were once enlightened. There's five levels of great maturity here as a believer. It's impossible for once you were once enlightened. Enlightened means you're in darkness and now you've turned to the light and you've accepted Jesus and you've come to the light and you've got the revelation of who He is and what He's done for you, and who you are, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, that's Jesus, and you're walking in intimacy with Him, and we're made partakers of the Holy Spirit, free. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you, baptized with the Holy Spirit. The awesome gift of praying in the Holy Spirit, and praying in tongues, and, and speaking direct to God. And have tasted the good Word of God, that's four, and the powers of the world to come. Supernatural signs and wonders and miracles. Five, that's a, that's a high level of maturity. The Word of God says, if you've gone to that level, and if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. It says, you've, you've, if you've reached these five levels of maturity, it's impossible to come to repentance. Dangerous. Can't play with it. You come to this high level and you and if you live a life, I think this is talking about living a lifestyle, habitual sin. A lifestyle, not one off falling in, oh God, forgive me, get, I get back up and I keep going on you. I'm talking about a habitual lifestyle of sin. You, it's like putting Jesus up on the cross again to an open shame. So when we don't live when, the way God wants us to live, we, we, we put shame to the name of Jesus. 
That's what it says here. To, they, they, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. You don't want to put Jesus up on the cross again, spiritually speaking, to the world that says, like, why did Jesus die on the cross? If you, you've got no power to live free from that sin. God has given us the power to live free from the things of this world. Number 17. This is the story of J- uh, Jacob. He says, For you know that afterwards when he, was, when he had inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he had found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know when he sold his birthright for a, a pot of stew because he was so, you know, he was out there f- hunting all day long. And then he is... He's, um, Younger brother? Yeah, his younger brother says, give me the, the, I'll give him my birthright if you give me the pot of stew. And he ate it. And then when he tried to repent, the Bible says he tried to repent with tears, but yet couldn't find it even while he was crying. He was with tears trying to repent and couldn't find real repentance. In other words, he had emotions, he had tears. Remember? We don't know the motive. I got caught. I lost the blessing. Oh, why did I do that? He couldn't find real repentance to, to regain it. So again, tears by themselves don't give you true repentance by themselves. It leads you to repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking, change of mind. Number 18, I love this one. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He's long-suffering. God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire, God's will is that everyone repents because He doesn't want anyone to perish. So it's good to know that God's behind what we do. God's behind our message. God's behind uh, the, the words we speak. And, and the, when we, want, we want people to repent. Well, God wants them to repent more than we want them to repent. God wants everyone to repent and turn their thinking to God and His kingdom. Amen? Do you know in the, in, in the book of Revelations, Jesus corrects seven churches. Out of seven churches, He told five of them to repent. They're all different types of things they had to repent from, but to change their thinking. Change your thinking from this area and return back. You know, you lost your first love, come back, all those things. Five out of seven churches. Imagine today if five out of seven churches needed a message of we need to repent, to be reminded by Jesus himself. He comes into the church and he says, guys, I want you to repent in this area. That's like 70% of the church needs to repent. That's high. Because that, that, if you know the story of the book of Revelations, those seven churches really typifies the message to the churches. It gives us a picture of a prophetic message of what Jesus was talking to the church, and I believe it applies to us today. So we need to be open to the Holy Spirit and say, God, we welcome that spirit of conviction. We welcome you to to convict us to change our thinking. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely beautiful. And in Revelation 3, verse 19, it says, And as many as I love, Jesus, if He loves you, He says, I rebuke, and chasten, it's like I train up like a child. You know, you, you discipline a child, I train you up because I love you. He goes, be zealous, be passionate, therefore, and repent. Change your thinking. Accept my ways, not your ways. I mean, we come to the kingdom and his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I've got to change my thinking to accept his kingdom because he's the king, he's the creator. Amen? And there were times in the book of Genesis, I mean, the book of Revelations right at the end, when the wrath of God was falling on people and they did not repent. Even though the, the, the judgment was falling, they, the Bible says, and they did not repent from their deeds. All these unbelievers kept saying, they did not repent. And there is a scripture in Genesis 6 verse 3, the first mention of the word repent. 
says, the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Not the word repent, sorry, strive. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Isn't that interesting? There's going to be a time where time will be no more and it's all over. So we don't have for all eternity. There is a time frame. It's the time of our life here on earth. Amen? So let's pray. Wonderful Jesus. Father, we want to say thank you for the Word of God because we love your Word. Your Word is a lamp to our feet. It truly is a light to our pathway. It guides us. It directs us. It gives us wisdom. It gives us knowledge. It gives us the know-how. Father, we, we turn to you. We repent, but turn to you, Lord. We want to change our thinking to come in line with the Word of God. Teach us, Father, that repentance isn't just an emotional thing. And saying sorry, and but just doing it again. But Father, we want to say thank you that you change our thinking for your word. You transform our thinking. Change us to see things the way you do. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, Father, and we glorify your name. Come and change us, Lord. Come and change us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Every day of our life, every time we wake up in the morning, all day long, we listen to your voice, your conviction. You convict us of Jesus. You show us how he is like and who he is to us. You convict us of our righteousness, Lord. That you've given us absolute right standing with our Father. We thank you for that, Lord. And convict us of the judgment to come, Lord. The fact that judgment is coming to this earth and we've got to a window of opportunity to share the good news to lost people that don't yet know your goodness. And we pray, Father, that salvation will come to the church worldwide, Lord. Salvation to the lost. Bring the lost into the church, we pray, Father, right across this city, right across this nation, right across the nations of the world. We bless you for it, Lord. A great, great incoming of many, many, many millions and millions of souls. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.